0: Well, good morning once again. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. I've got all sorts of goodies up here. Move those out of the way. It's great to see everyone. Great to be with you. Those of you that are joining us online, um, it's great to see you. And uh, I just want to just take a moment as I'm opening my Bible um, to just say a thank you to our elders and trustees and to all of you for um, the sweet um, just encouragement and gift um, and uh our prayer, I can speak, I know for Kyle and Matt, when I say that um, the song that we sang, it's a fitting that we would sing that song immediately following that, that our prayer as your pastors is that Jesus would be lifted high, not any man, not any one of us. And we strive to do what we can do so that in all of our lives, Jesus would be lifted high um, and we could praise him. And so we're so thankful that you're here, thankful that we get to be with you, get to worship Jesus with you, and for the honor that it is to, uh, to serve you as pastors. Let me get this flipped around here. So we are in a study. On the Sermon on the Mount, if you're brand new with us, if you're a guest with us, we have been studying Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And um, as Amy uh, read for us this morning, we are continuing in our study of the first section of the Sermon on the Mount, which is known as the Beatitudes, these statements of Jesus um, that uh, speak to who, what it means to be a Christian. How do Christians look? What, what does define a Christian And so often we might even ask that question, what what is a Christian? How would you say a Christian uh, should live or what should they look like? Well, these statements of Christ are one of our best, uh, if not our most authoritative statements as to what it is to be a Christian. And so we arrived this morning at the final beatitude. We've spent the last eight weeks studying each of these statements and striving to understand what they mean. And so when we come to this final beatitude, blessed Are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the last statement. That Jesus would make. Now, I know if your eyes gaze ahead or you studied ahead, like so many of you great, strong Christians do, you always get ahead of me in your Bible studies on your own time. I know that's what happens every week. You might be seeing another statement of blessing ahead of this or following after this, where Jesus in uh, verses um, 11 is going to continue this. But this is really, verse 11 is in a sense an application of verse 10 for his disciples, specifically speaking to his disciples to apply this. So, this last statement in verse 10 blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, is the close of the Beatitudes. You'll also note that as Jesus ends, he goes back to where he began. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you'll remember from the very first, if you weren't with us, go back to blessed are the poor in spirit. The very first statement of Jesus, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus repeats himself in a sense, offering these two statements related to the kingdom of heaven. Now, here's something that I've learned in my life, and I'd encourage you to just remember this and apply this, is that God is not redundant He doesn't say the same thing over and over again usually. But when he does repeat himself, we would be wise to look very carefully and take very seriously what it is that he is saying. He is emphasizing for us this idea about the kingdom of heaven. He says it twice. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he wraps this teaching up, or this section of his teaching up, by saying, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus seems to be striving to elevate for us and remind us, teach us, maybe for the very first time, the value and the importance and the seriousness of the kingdom. Jesus is being very clear. His kingdom is... Is here. He announced that when he said in verse 14 at the beginning of uh, this teaching that the kingdom was here, it was at, a ha- at hand. We know in our study from Mark that the first thing that Jesus said when he began his earthly ministry, repent for the kingdom is here, the kingdom is at hand. And so he's announcing his kingdom and here we get this exhaustive teaching of Jesus and he begins the teaching and he wraps up this vital section of this teaching reminding us that the kingdom is here. And in doing so, he's reminding us that the kingdom of God is what matters most. His kingdom, the kingdom of God, is the only kingdom, is the only structure, if we could put a structure to it, that will last. Everything else in this world, everything else that we can see with our eyes, will ultimately fade away and fail. Other than the kingdom of God. I was reminded even this week just of the importance of the church that is an essential aspect or a piece of God's kingdom. Think of it in this way. The beauty that we get to see one another and why it was so challenging for us when we were separated from one another and only being able to gather online. What is lacking in that? We miss seeing the visible, tangible evidence in one another's lives that the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm reminded, I know that the kingdom is here because I see it at work in your life. And by God's grace and mercy, perhaps you might see it at work in my life. And as we see one another living in the kingdom, we understand that's what matters most. We're reminded of that. That is why God said that it's so vital that we gather That wasn't just a rule that he wanted to put in place just because he thought it would be something that would be nice and oppressive for us. No, it was for always. Everything that he instructs us to do is for our good. And so he's reminding us here, he teaches us by repeating himself that the kingdom is what matters most. And our citizenship in his kingdom is what is ultimate. What a helpful reminder in this year, 2020, as Frank alluded, so many things have been shaken, perhaps your hope and and just the sort of the foundation of your life has been shaken by all of the events of 2020, of this year. It's been weird at best and terrible at worst. And now we're in this election cycle and there's so many other things that seem to be tearing away from what we can see. What a helpful reminder to know that the kingdom of God is at hand And his kingdom cannot be shaken or moved. And this Jesus is teaching us. He's trying to demonstrate and show us through this statement and through the previous statements. What it looks like for Christians to live with that in mind. Defined by these previous statements. That the kingdom is here. And so because the kingdom is here. This is what we are to live like or how we are to live. So we take once again, as we've done each week, we've tried to understand what it is that Jesus is saying in these statements by looking at them in the flow. Trusting that Jesus had an exact purpose in what he said and knew the order and why he said it the way that he said it. And you notice that he brackets these statements again, the entirety of this teaching with this statement about being citizens in the kingdom. It's also important to note that this is the only statement or this last statement is the only one. That is really less descriptive and more an application of faithfully displaying all of the previous attributes. As we've said each week, these attributes, these statements about blessing are like markers on our lives. As the world comes and they see us. They see these statements, blessed are the poor in spirit, that defines a Christian. Blessed are those who mourn, that defines a Christian. Blessed are the meek, that defines a Christian. These statements sum up who we are and they describe us as Christians. And we know that, as we've said, these aren't things that we have to strive to do. Sometimes this teaching has been misapplied or misunderstood as we've read these statements and and thought, these are things that I must try and do. We perhaps have even begun to teach our kids that these are things that you must try and do. And that is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that these are the things that overflow, that describe us when he gives us a new heart. When he does what only he can do, these things become our identity. They put flesh around what it means to follow Christ. But in this last statement, this is not something that we, in a sense, are defined by, but it's a result of living out those things as we receive a new heart, are transformed by God. And these things become, the first seven statements become application points for us or things that are lived out. This last one is the result, the result of living that life. I'll sum it up for you, and by the way, I sometimes mention this, but our previous teaching, if you want to catch up, we have a podcast on all of the various podcast sources, and you can go back and you can listen to the previous sermons. But briefly, Jesus begins by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who empty themselves realize they're completely destitute before God. They have nothing to offer God. And in that humility, God welcomes them as citizens of the kingdom. And because of that, they begin to mourn their sin. Blessed are those who mourn. There's a mournfulness over the sinfulness of our hearts. We grieve that sin that we acknowledge in our own lives. And as we grieve that sin, we are led to be meek. Blessed are the meek. We receive a humility about us because we understand that we we lack And we need something that we cannot find from within ourselves, which causes us, the fourth statement, to hunger and thirst for a righteousness that we never found from within. And so we hunger and thirst for righteousness in Christ, through Christ, from Christ, and we desire him and desire his ways and try to live that out. And as a result of that, we become people who are merciful because of our poverty of spirit. We understand that we show mercy to those who are also impoverished. Not just physically, of course, spiritually. We become pure in heart as we recognize the sinfulness and the darkness of our own hearts. And the new heart that we have received in Christ. Our hearts are made pure. And we become peacemakers. Because we understand in humility that we had nothing. And Jesus came to make peace with us. How then should we live to be people who bring peace to the world? And as we do that. As we live those things out. Jesus says... He gives us this blessing. Blessed are those who are persecuted because he knows that that is what will follow. As we live as Christians, we will be persecuted. And this is why Jesus says persecuted for righteousness sake. As we hunger and thirst for righteousness and receive the promise of Jesus that we will be satisfied, that we will be filled with Christ. We will begin to look like Christ. We'll be filled with His righteousness, and beca- and then persecution will follow. In a previous, in a later teaching, we won't get there in this series, but in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talks about being persecuted, and he's talking to his disciples as he's sending them out into the world, and he's telling them to go and do all the things that he's instructed them to do. Of course, he would have had this teaching in mind. They would have heard this teaching and known this teaching, but when he comes to chapter 10, he's sending them out, and he tells them how they should deal with persecution, and he closes the statement by saying this, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, that is to call him Satan, basically, evil, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is saying to his disciples in that statement, Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, This is what they did to me. This is what they call me. And he hasn't even gotten to the cross. Now he knows he's going to the cross. But in this moment, he's not there yet. He's saying, this is what they call me. This is how they define me. And you are my disciples, the servants, those that are under my teaching. If this is what they do to me, you're less than even me, in a sense. Now Jesus says that very graciously. He's not putting them down. He's saying, as his followers, as people who come after him, we should expect that persecution should come as we follow him. Christians, as we look again at the, back to the Beatitudes, are defined or described by these statements because these statements defined Jesus. This is who Jesus was. And when Jesus lived these out as being merciful, pure in heart, a peacemaker, all that he was, persecution came and persecution will come for those who follow. It's helpful to know, isn't it, that this is the expected result? You know, so often in life, it's when we get to a situation and we're expecting one thing and we receive another thing that it shocks us. And it sort of kind of shakes us a bit. And our foundation is shaken by the uncertainty that comes with it. How great is it that Jesus told us, live as I've called you to live. Reflect me, hunger and thirst for my righteousness. I will satisfy you. I will fill you with this righteousness. You will begin to look like me, act like me, serve like me, love like me. And when you do that, just know, friend, that you are going to be hated. You are going to be attacked. You are going to be persecuted. But remember, you're a citizen of another kingdom. You remember last week when we talked about being peacemakers, that we're over the world, not in this looking down upon it as if we're better than the world. We're over the world in the sense that we are removed from it. We don't have to be caught up in all of the confines, in the fighting, in all of those things that this world has to offer, which is why we can be peacemakers in the same sense, even at a broader level, we can be all of these things that Christ has called us to be, knowing that persecution will come. And we don't have to be shaken away from that or caused to think, maybe I should live differently because persecution is coming. No, we just recognize it's the result. Now, we have to realize that Jesus did qualify persecution. As human beings within our flesh, I think we're so, sometimes tempted To see persecution in ways that Jesus wouldn't see it and didn't define it. And he said that blessed are those who are persecuted. I want to really emphasize what he says here. For righteousness sake. He didn't simply say blessed are those who are persecuted. Because we know that we can be persecuted for a lot of things. Our children, my sons at least, would claim persecution early and often in life. For many and various things, none of which could be defined as righteousness. They're great boys, by the way, and they are amazing followers of Christ, and I'm so thankful for them. But there has been many seasons where they would claim this persecution by their dad because of things that they did not do in righteousness. Now, in some Christian circles, I think we tend to forget that. Something bad or hurtful happens, and we just remind ourselves, we kind of hear this statement, whether we've ever heard it taught, but we just sort of think, well, blessed are the persecuted. Sometimes we need to remember, sometimes bad things happen, hurtful things happen to us because we're dumb. Because we're sinful. Because we are sheep who need a shepherd. We can't claim persecution when we just do something idiotic and then the results come to play and then we think, oh, well, I'm just being persecuted. No, that's on you. That's not on Jesus and that's not for Jesus. We're too quick sometimes to claim persecution and we need to just realize that sometimes, again, consequences do come. There is grace and mercy in Christ. You will be forgiven. You have been forgiven. You will be lifted up. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But... There are consequences in this life and they will be dealt with. We become sure that we're doing sometimes too often. We become sure that we're doing exactly what God would want us to do simply because we get pushback. We dig in our heels and it's some of us enjoy resistance. And the moment we face resistance, then we interpret that as believing this is exactly where we should be heading. This is what we should be doing. This is surely from God himself. Well, I just want to encourage us as we hear this statement, don't go around looking for persecution as your guide to whether or not you're following the Lord. That's not what it is. We are to live out the previous statements. And when we do that, then we know that we're following Christ. If we're constantly the victim, if we're constantly being persecuted, my encouragement to myself and to all of us is that we go look in the mirror first. And we ask ourselves, are we sure we're not bringing this upon ourselves? And then... If not, then we look at what and how we're living our lives and what that is leading to. He also does it say, blessed are you when you are persecuted for a cause. Now, this is a fine line. But sometimes we can become passionate about a cause as a result of our Christian faith and feel that we're being persecuted when we stand up for that cause. And we can't confuse being persecuted for righteousness with being persecuted for a cause. Those are two different things. We can stand for a cause. We can believe in the cause. But Jesus' promise of blessing and our reminder that we're citizens in his kingdom is for righteousness sake, not simply for a cause. Finally, and even continuing this idea, he doesn't say blessed are those who are persecuted for political or geopolitical ideas, we misconstrue Jesus' words when we conflate with what we believe to be proper politically or to be connected to righteousness. Let me explain kind of what this looks like or what I mean by that. I traveled years ago to Cuba. Cuba, as you know, is a communist country, and I went to Cuba to teach the gospel, to preach and to lead others to Christ. And I went from house to house sharing the gospel. And one afternoon, my host that was leading me through the country, a Cuban uh, national, he came to me and said, we need to go back to the hotel early today because the police have been following us and they have been watching you. And there's more than likely, if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to get expelled from the country. You're going to be kicked out. Now that police officer... And even the government, the communist government, could care less what I was saying. I wasn't being persecuted in that moment for righteousness. Yes, I was preaching the gospel. And of course, there is something to to that. What I was in that moment, if I could call what I was receiving or enduring in that moment as persecution, was because I was perceived as a threat to the government. Any threat to the government would have received the exact same result. As I was receiving in that moment. They cared that I might be stirring up political unrest. Now, of course, we do know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. And very often does do that thing. But it wasn't being, I wasn't being persecuted in that moment for righteousness. I was being shut down for political reasons. I could have been saying anything that stirred up unrest. And I would have received the same result. That's how we know I wasn't being persecuted for righteousness sake in that moment. Was I being faithful to what God had called me to do? Sure. Was I following the Lord's calling and proclaiming the gospel, being a minister of reconciliation to a lost and broken world? Sure. But the persecution was not for what I was saying. It was because of the politics. And Jesus is not defining us in that way. The key to here is to remember, as we look around, as we walk through life, we don't go looking for persecution. What we do, what we focus on, is we focus on living these statements out. Being people of mercy. Being people with pure hearts. Being peacemakers. And when we do all of these things, persecution will follow. And we remember, we are blessed. Because in spite of that persecution, we're citizens of a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. So, what does he mean when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake? What he's saying there, blessed are you who look like me, who follow Jesus. Being persecuted for righteousness sake is being persecuted for looking like Jesus. For being a stumbling block as Jesus was a stumbling block to the religious people of the day. Fighting against, or not fighting against, but living out this life of mercy and being pure and being peacemakers and doing all of these things. What does that look like? Just as a reminder, we are merciful when we show mercy to the sinner who doesn't deserve mercy and has been ostracized. Who's been told he or she is unloving or unloved. We are the people who show mercy. We are the people who are pure in heart. When we become so aware of the temptations to sin in our own hearts, the depravity of our own hearts, and we pursue purity and we pursue it so faithfully that we begin to look different than the rest of the world and stand apart from the rest of the world because of that purity. We say no to things that the world just has no problem with. All of those things might cause us to sometimes be persecuted, to look differently. We become peacemakers when we realize that it's not our responsibility to take sides, but our responsibility is to strive to live peaceably amongst all people and bring peace to others and bring people together. When we live all of that out, we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be persecuted because we look like Jesus. Look at the examples that we have in Scripture Moses, persecuted for being faithful, for being a picture of Christ, setting his people, leading his people to freedom, just as Christ led all of us to freedom. David, persecuted when he was the king, the king that would rule righteously over Israel as an example of all the other kings, ultimately, though, pointing to Jesus in the way that he led. Or in the New Testament, Paul. Perhaps no one outside of Jesus himself has ever been more greatly persecuted than Paul. Not persecuted because he was always being difficult. Not persecuted because he was obstinate. Not persecuted because he did unwise things. No, persecuted for righteousness for looking and acting like Jesus over and over and over again. We've been studying the book of Acts in our men's and women's Bible studies. And one of the things that if you've been a part of that, I hope you've been reminded. If you haven't been a part of it, then join these, by the way. There's just a little ad for that. But as we've been studying those books, we've seen that Paul goes into city after city after city, proclaiming the gospel, being kicked out of the synagogue, chased out, run out of town, persecuted. And what does he do? He just keeps being faithful. He goes to the next one and the next one and the next one and the next one. He just continues. To take the gospel forth in spite of all that was coming against him. Travels all over the world. Endures some of the greatest hardships that any man might have ever endured on this earth. Why? For righteousness. Because he knew the need that he had in his own heart for Christ. He knew what Christ had done in his own life. He was merciful. Paul was pure in heart. He was a peacemaker. He lived these things out. And as he did, he showed a righteousness. A righteousness that doesn't come from within. A righteousness that only comes from God. It's worthwhile for us to consider and just ask ourselves, have we truly ever been persecuted for righteousness sake? For looking like Jesus? You know, so often... This little quip is used sometimes. Would there be enough evidence to convict you if you were considered or called a Christian? Would your life testify to that? Is there a righteousness? Is there a hungering and thirsting for righteousness from Christ that plays itself out in a life that is lived, that is merciful, that is pure in heart, that is as peacemakers? Do we see that? And if so, it will lead to persecution. Persecution. It will lead to us being ostracized, left out. Other things might come from that. But we can be reminded that we're citizens of an eternal kingdom. The eternal kingdom of God. Finally, we're persecuted. When we say that we're being persecuted or Jesus is teaching us that we're persecuted for righteousness. And we understand that to mean that we're persecuted for looking like Jesus. We remember that. ...that ultimately Jesus was light in the darkness. He was light. And the light could not be overcome by the darkness. That's why when he laid down his life, he took it back up again. Darkness could not hold him. The grave could not hold him. His light shone forth. And when we realize and we understand it's even expected in our own lives... ...that we are going to be persecuted for righteousness' sake... And we realize that that is a call to look and live like Jesus, a call to be light in this dark world, to let it shine. I loved yesterday, I was listening or watching some television and YouTube TV has an advertisement and it starts with the song, This Little Light of Mine. I don't know if they have any idea what that song was from or what it means. It's a song we used to sing when I was a little kid about letting our light shine for Jesus. Hide it under a basket. Oh no, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Let us live like Jesus in such a way that our light shines and that we expel darkness wherever we go. Darkness flees or perhaps comes against us for a moment. But we remember that we're citizens of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And the light shines forth and the light can't be put out. Nothing in this world can put out the light of Christ in you because you have union with him and he has raised you up to new life. If you're living for him. If these things define who we are as Christians, our light will shine and darkness will flee and we will see our world transformed. So much of our world right now seems to be arguing, fighting for causes and striving to do all of these things. And my call, my belief, my conviction, and what I would hope that we would all just be able to agree upon is that if we let our light shine in the world, darkness would flee. And whatever evil we're standing up against, whatever cause we're fighting against, whatever thing we're trying to push back against, let the light of Christ deal with that. Shine our lights. Let us be a light to the world. And let persecution come or go, but live for Christ, live as Christ, be persecuted for righteousness sake, for being a reflection of Jesus to a lost and dying world. I want my neighbor to know Jesus. I want him to know the hope that I have because of Jesus. Nothing else that I know or think or believe really matters Outside, that he might know Jesus. And Jesus promises us that if we live like he lived, the results will follow. We follow him. Let our light shine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for these instructions, these moments of. Our statements of definition that help us to understand what it means to follow you. And our desire, Lord Jesus, is to follow you. Thank you for what you've already done in making us like you and giving us new hearts as we've put our faith in you. I pray for any soul that can hear the sound of my voice right now that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Lord Jesus, would you send your spirit now to convict, to humble, to encourage, to lift up, to let that soul know how deeply they are loved. You showed us the depth of your love when you laid down your life on the cross. You showed us the power of your love when you raised and took up your life again three days later. That is how much you love us. I pray that everyone would know that. And anyone who doesn't, that just encourage them, would you give them just enough courage, just enough faith, just enough hope to just step forward and reach out, ask a friend, have a conversation. Lord, you promise us that you are faithful to complete what you begin. So whatever you're beginning in our hearts right now, we know that you will continue it. And so we just trust you completely. For those of us who call ourselves Christians, Lord, we need your help. Holy Spirit, help us to be people of mercy, of purity, of peace, reflecting what you have done in our lives as we realize how much we need you and how much you satisfy us. Help us to be a people who don't walk around looking for persecution, but just live faithfully, letting our light shine, trusting you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, I do want to share just a few things with you. Um, to make sure that we don't uh, miss an opportunity to gather together as I said last week this evening we'll have evening prayer, uh, we'll be outside and it should be uh, still some nice weather, 5 o'clock so please join us, child care is provided, we'll come together and pray and uh, what an opportunity to come together and pray and and just this the current season that we're in, this time in history um, so I just want to encourage you all to please come together and pray with us immediately following our prayer service we will have our monthly re-engage open group you've heard perhaps about re-engage our marriage ministry and this open group what it is just a place to come once just to sort of see what it's all about you just come you get to be a part of it uh, be welcomed in and uh, learn a little bit about re-engage that ministry and uh and so just i want to encourage you you'll come to prayer and then stick around uh for our re-engage open group and then next week Um, uh, This is really important, especially I'm looking at you online and so many faces that I see uh, that are new with us either this morning or in the last few weeks. We will have what's called City Church 101. And if you've been wondering what it means, kind of what City Church is all about, you heard Frank read that letter, and you're wondering, well, what was all of that that happened in the early parts of 21, 2020? I wasn't here for that. Well, City Church 101 is where you come. Come, and you'll get to meet all of us as elders and pastors. Um, you will get to the, kind of hear the history of our church, um, learn a little bit about our beliefs, and this is the first step if you're looking to become a member. We use a term called partnership, and you'll even understand why we use that by coming to 101. So that's... It's immediately following our service, our 1030 service next weekend. So immediately following our 1030 service in our cafe, lunch and childcare is provided for that. Um, we would ask that you go to our website and you can RSVP for that lunch. Um, here's what's going to happen. We're going to provide enough lunches because we know that some people will be new next week and they'll decide to stick around. But if none of you register, then somebody's going to be short and we're going to be ordering pizzas. It's going to be awkward. So if you would just please um, just take a moment just and, and, and heed our encouragement to register for that so we have enough child care for you, so we have enough food for you, and so we can welcome that first-time guest next weekend to stick around for lunch, please do that. I'd love a chance to meet you all one-on-one and have that small time together. So that will be in our cafe right next door. So with that, thank you so much for being here this morning. I love you guys. I'll be up here if I can pray for you or encourage you or just have any questions about this morning's message. I'd be love to engage with you on that. So have a great day. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane. And we look forward to seeing you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.